Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. Here we are again, my friends. We have come through a couple of books of the Torah. We find ourselves now in the middle book of the Torah. Uh, I might venture to say the most important and most misunderstood section of the entire Bible, certainly of the Torah, and that is the book of Vayikra, Leviticus, which focuses on what? I hear laws, I hear priests, I hear sacrifices. Those are all those are all good things. Those are all good things. Unless you're of the modern Protestant or Christian mind when you read this book and say, "What in the world do you want me to do with this?" I you have just dragged me through like 13 chapters of information about animal skins and dyed yarn and colors and sockets made out of silver. And I mean, wasn't the tabernacle enough? Wasn't that boring enough for me, someone says? And now you want me to come and start studying about blood and priests and sacrifices Have you read the book of Hebrews, Rabbi? I have, as a matter of fact. Which makes this all the more important. Because what we find is people taking scriptures that they don't really understand and building an entire theology and worldview on them. And the majority of the content in the book of Leviticus has been undone by modern, not even modern, 1,800-year-old teaching apart and separated from a Jewish context. We read things in Hebrews chapter 7 like, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? In other words, Hebrews just put the kibosh on the priesthood. Jesus is the priest, and that's that. Hebrews chapter 9 According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Hebrews just put the kibosh on the sacrifices. Apparently. Does anyone know what until the time of reformation actually means? Or do we just read it, read over it? And then the classic, the classic, the refutation of anything you could ever say to someone about the Torah, the sacrificial system, the old covenant, 
is all summed up as an easy, quick defense to you, silly messianic believer, in Hebrews 8, 13, which says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Have you ever heard this before? That this this book that we just began today, Vayikra el Moshe, and he called unto Moses that that book we just read today is not worth the parchment it's written on because Jesus came and put it all to death. That's significant for us as Messianic believers that the majority of the world feels that way. And so, with that said, What I want to do is I want to journey a little bit through the sacrifices. I put that in an email yesterday that went out, our weekly email. So I must say I'm proud to see that at least this many people showed up. We're going to talk about the sacrifices. Great, there's five people here. No, you guys are engaged. You're learners. You want to know, right? So we're going to. We're going to talk about the sacrificial system because there are a lot of questions. Is the sacrificial system done away with? Paul? Come up and answer all these questions. Were the sacrifices for salvation? How many of the sacrifices were for sins? If they're not all for sins, what were they actually for? Did Jesus put them all away? Was Yeshua actually a sacrifice? What in the world is Hebrews talking about? What is the time of Reformation? What is the new and old covenant? What's obsolete? What matters? And all of these other questions. Why are you asking me all these questions? Because there are a lot of questions for believers. Hebrews is a book that you can read right through, kind of like Revelation, come to the end and say, okay. There are a lot of questions which will, if we don't dig into this, remain unanswered or answered incorrectly. I want to correct that. I want to draw from a number of Jewish sources, including one of my favorite Jewish sources, a book, a collection of writings called the New Testament. I will draw on our own Darren Huckey's previous teaching, which was called Nothing But the Blood. I will draw on and unabashedly and unashamedly will draw on the scholarship of Daniel Lancaster, who has in my mind created the best messianic explanation of the book of Hebrews that is completely and totally logical, defensible, and encouraging to you as a Torah-following believer in Messiah. So I'm just going to steal outright from him. He won't care. And some of this will be a review To to some of you, it'll be a review. To others, it will be brand new. I hope to no one, it's boring. I don't see how it could be. So we're going to put that out of our mind first and foremost. The sacrifices are not boring. But Damien, have you read the first portion? I have. I have. I know what's in there. I know how easy it is to get lost. And so before we get too deep into this, 
I want to start today with my own unique Damien Eisner messianic midrash to start the book of Leviticus. Now, every unique thought that I've ever thought I had in anything I've ever told you and kind of got a little proud, ooh, cool, I came up with that, never fails within about a week or two, I'll find five other sources that have already said what I said, okay? So this probably isn't unique, but I, so I'm going to share what God has shown me in study and preparation for our ongoing set, a study of the book of Leviticus. Now, what is Midrash? You've heard me talk about Midrash a lot. And Midrash is a hugely important part of Jewish study of Scripture. So let's go to an amazingly Jewish source of information to start off briefly with a description of Midrash. From the Encyclopedia Britannica. Midrash was initially a philological method of interpreting the literal meaning of biblical text. This sounds like one of those things that I read you guys to totally confuse you. It's not. Listen for real this time, okay? Listen for real. In time, it developed into a sophisticated interpretive system that reconciled apparent biblical contradictions. Those are in there, you know it. They're in there. Established the scriptural basis of new laws and enriched biblical content with new meaning. Okay? Midrashic creativity reached its peak in the schools of Rabbi Ishmael and Akiba where two different hermeneutic methods were applied. The first was primarily logically oriented, making inferences based upon similarity of content and analogy. The second, however, rested largely upon textual, textual scrutiny, assuming that words and letters that seem superfluous Teach something not openly stated in the text. That's what I want you to pay attention to. That the second and what I find to be most powerful usage of Midrash is to look at words and forms and things in the biblical text that seem superfluous in order to teach new important spiritual lessons. So that's what we're going to do today. That's the Midrash. And it starts in verse 1 of Leviticus. Vaikra. Not that one, the other one. There it is again. Oh. Well, you can put them on single, each one single. Oh, well, anyway. Okay, here we go. You ready? Who's got a Bible? That's another option. If you actually have a Bible, you can open it and turn to these things, and then you'll be able to read them. Of course, if your Bible's not in Hebrew, that's not going to help. So that's why I had to put it up there for you. So this is the first word of the book of Leviticus is Vaikra. And he called. And you'll see sometimes that this is translated and the Lord called to Moses and said. But that doesn't actually work. 
Because as you'll see, that's not the way the sentence is structured. It says, Vayikral Moshe. And he called unto Moses. There are three places in the Torah where God calls to Moses in this way, and they are all massively monumental events in the life of Moses, God's relationship with Israel, and all of us. So three places where God calls to Moses with this formula. Vayikra, with this word, I'm sorry, Vayikra. Can you imagine what, what would you say is the first monumental event where God encountered Moses? There it is. Says up top, Vayaranai Kisali wrote, Vayikra elav Elohim. Vayikra elav Elohim. And he called to him God. That's what it literally says. Elohim, God, called to Moses from the burning bush. That's number one. Number two, what would you think would be the next? Fundamentally important. See, I get it's been given to you, so if you can't answer this, you need to leave the room. <laughs> what would be the second fundamentally important encounter for God and Moses? Har Sinai. Mount Sinai. And so here we also run into this word, Umoshe Allah, and Moses went up, Al Ha Elohim, unto God. Vayikra Elav Adonai. You see? The, the last line, second section, top line, last word. The sacred name. Vayikra Elav Adonai. So here we have something different. Still Vayikra. But now we have the holy name of God connected to this. So in the beginning we had Elohim, now we have Adonai, and then we come to Vayikra, the book, actually Leviticus, calling out to Moses, and it says, Vayikra el Moshe, Vayidaber Adonai, which means, and he called to Moses, and God said, okay, you with me? There's no connection to Vayikra El Moshe to Adonai or Elohim. We don't get that. It comes after the next verb, which is, and said, Vayidaber Adonai, God said. So, and he called and God said. Now, stick with me. That's all the grammar for now. You still awake? Okay, good. Sometimes grammar puts you to sleep. Why? Why? We know that if there are these three unique instances where this word is used, then something important has happened, and we can also tell from what's demonstrated here that something is different about this calling that starts our book. Why? Coincidental, I'm sure. Right? No. Nothing is coincidental, and Midrash, as we've already described, takes apparent superfluous details and uses them to teach us something very important. Why is it different? There are some traditional reasons. First of all, God's name is not used in Vayikra here, and he called reason one. The Shekhinah had settled on the tabernacle at the end of the last chapter. The power and 
awesomeness that was going on in the tabernacle terrified Israel. Do you remember that Israel was even scared at Mount Sinai and they said, Moses, you do it for us. We don't want to do it anymore, right? So Moses talked. Well, here it's, it's taught. One midrash suggests that when his presence came off out of heaven, off the mountain and into the tabernacle, it was a fearsome sight. And even Moses was afraid to enter in to the tent of meeting, which is where this voice is coming from. And so God, in his divine wisdom, says on a very personal level, he's calling out. There's no connection to his name, his power. It's just, and he called. It was God on a one-on-one communication with Moses, and he called unto Moses. That's reason one. Reason two, we go from Elohim to Adonai to nothing. What has happened between Scripture 2 and Scripture 3? Well, there was an incident. Do you remember the incident that took place? The golden calf. And so, while God was communicating with Moses with his two Elohim and his sacred name, at this point, sin has a consequence. And they had passed through the sin, had been forgiven. The golden calf was wiped away. However, there's a diminished level of holiness in this calling. And so, he called to Moses. Okay, that works. Number three. And the one I find most interesting and most wonderful and will matter most for us. It's not fear. It's not sin. It's the most important job of Moses' life that's getting ready to happen. That this designates with Moses a new level of intimacy. And he called. What does that mean? Moses, you've been my buddy. You've done everything I said. You've done everything I wanted you to do. We speak as friends, don't we, Moses? Face to face, it says in Exodus. Not really, but you know what that means. We're friends. But Moses, I'm communicating now with you. Buddy, it's you and me. What I'm getting ready to show you is the most important thing, the ultimate calling in your mission. And as uh, Torah scholar Eli Monk says, all that came before was but a prelude to the realization of Israel's messianic mission. In other words, God is drawing Moses in into the final level of connection. He is his servant. Moses is God's servant. And they must understand and know the calling that they have to be a kingdom of priests, to be a light unto the nations. Moses was a prophet that redemption for the entire world was coming through Israel. And so this third and unique 
calling represents the fact that Moses had arisen. He rose to a level of familiarity with God where God communicates to him from the tent on this personal level. And I think that's awesome, and I love it. But there's a lot more than that. Moses, there's still work to do. We're going to do it together. But something else is different. Now, finally, you can go to this slide. I'm kidding with you. Thank you, Darren. This is the Hebrew of the beginning of the book of Leviticus. If you can read Hebrew, you can see it. If you can't, I'll read it for you. Vayikra al-Moshe. First word. You see it? Vav. Yud. Kuf. Yud. I mean, uh, Resh. And what's on the end? Aleph. What's wrong with that Aleph? There's something wrong with that Aleph. It's tiny. Katan Aleph. Why? That's how it is written in every Torah scroll that exists on the planet. That's how... Everybody who's reading Vayikra this week is seeing this word this way. Why? Well, you'll be happy to know that there's a logical reason for it. In ancient Hebrew, many there were no spaces. Like it was one continuous line of text. Can you... Can you picture that? Can you imagine reading like that? You can do that. If I showed you it, you could do it in English, not in Hebrew. So you had one continuous line of text, but there was a difficulty when the last letter of the first word was the same as the first letter of the next word, which we see happening here. Vayikra al. You see it? We have ending with an aleph. We have another aleph. But if we saw that in the original Hebrew text with no spaces, it would just say, Vayikral, like you, you wouldn't know. And so there's an example of this. I could give you, I could spell five eggs. Five eggs, F-I-V-E-E-G-G-S, five eggs. Or I could spell it five, F-I-V-E-G-G-S. You see the difference? It's not that difficult. But in context, you would know what that meant, of course. If I said, Deborah just, well, and no, I can't even think up a sentence, it's so easy. Five eggs, you would know it if I said the chicken has five eggs, even if you were missing one of the E's, right? So Hebrew knows this too. However, due to the incredible sanctity and protection of the text, what would happen is as the Masoretes and the and the text was broken up into the way we read it now, if that happened, there were times when the, law, the letter that was added, follow me here, the letter that was added was written small. So initially, there was only Vav, Yud, Kuf, Resh, Aleph. But when they went back in to protect the sanctity of the text and make sure no one misunderstood it, they added an olive, but they write it small so that you know it wasn't in the original text. Are you with me? Easy, right? 
That's good. That's the end. That's why it's there. That's totally boring. I hate that. That's not fun. Let's find some much better reasons why it's there. And there are some much better reasons why it's there. In Numbers, there's a prophet named Balaam. You remember him? Balaam also had some communication with God. And there's a version of this word that was used there. It says, Vayikar. Vayikar. Okay? Not Vayikra. Vayikar. I know sometimes it's like difficult to just engage when someone's talking about stuff to learn. Just listen, you're going to like this. Because you're going... I mean, I know I usually jump around and like do backflips and spit nickels out of my mouth and stuff, but sometimes we just got to learn. Balaam has an encounter with God, but it says, Vayikar. What does that mean? It means a chance encounter. It means, hey, hey, that's what it means, which is very different than the Vayikra, which is the intimate call from God to his servant. Vayikra versus Vayikar. Balaam got Vayikar. Moses got Vayikra. However, Moses, the most humble man in the universe, he said so. When God told him, write Vayikra el Moshe, he said, God, I couldn't. I'm not worthy. After all the stuff that's happened and the golden calf, I can't do it, God. I'm just going to write Vayikar like Balaam. He was kind of a scumbag. I feel like a scumbag too. I'm just going to be Vayikar. And God said, no, you're not. Write Vayikra. And so Moses, being obedient and a servant, wrote Vayikra. But like a rebellious teenager, he wrote the Aleph small, just to make a point. The small Aleph is a representation of Moshe's humility. Even though God had called him, he still was the most humble man in the universe. Reason two actually goes kind of back to something that we've already talked about as to why his name is not there, is that this call to Moses, because of the incident of the golden calf, was not as holy as the first two, because sin has a consequence. And therefore, the Torah writes a small olive to remind you, sin has consequences. Even when you think it's all good and God forgave me and it's all good, there's the little olive to remind you, you lost something. We were here. Now we're here. But there's a third reason. And once again, you can see how I'm building this. I'm keeping you in suspense. The third is my favorite. The small Aleph represents God himself. Why? Because if anyone humbled themselves 
after the complaining and the whining and the golden calf and all the other things that have happened up to this point, if anyone humbled themselves, it wasn't Moses, it was Hashem Himself. And so this Vayikra demonstrates a visible picture of God's willingness to condescend to our level even when we are sinners. Even when we are not perfect. And Aleph sounds a lot like the word aluf, which does not mean far away. It means master. Thus, the small Aleph represents the great master, your Father in heaven, who descended in holiness to dwell among his people. He condensed himself and shrunk himself in his love and humility for you. And therefore, every time you read Vayikra, you get a picture of God's love and humility. You got it? You don't seem as excited as I was, but that's okay. It's fine. Got to start somewhere. But doesn't that sound kind of familiar? Descending to our level in humility to remind us of God's love. Wow, that sounds familiar to me. So, all these things that I've presented to you are good. They're meaningful. They're traditional explanations. And according to the definition of Midrash, they've done exactly what we want them to do. They have taught something not openly stated in the text. But I am not satisfied. It's different. There's a small olive there, and, and he called, and he's, it's not connected, and God's name is missing like... There's, and we're messianic. Like there's got to be something more, right? Definitely there is. And you will be happy to know that we are about to jump into that next week. <laughs> Shabbat Shalom. Let's rise for the Elena. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makinmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.